G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking through some issues today dealing with the deep hurts uh, that some of us feel we've suffered and that none of us is immune to, perhaps with the loss of a loved one and especially uh, with the loss of a child. Nancy Guthrie is in Nashville, Tennessee, and she's joining us on the phone. Uh, Nancy, welcome along to 2020. Hey, Neil. I'm so glad to be with you. <laughs> I guess it's morning there. It's like nighttime here. So yeah. I'll what time is morning. it there in Nashville? <laughs> it's about seven thirty at night here. Okay, well, I'm uh, I'm glad you've uh, you've hung around and uh, you've given up your evening to spend with us, uh, oh, because uh, are you kidding? I've been looking forward to. It. <laughs> okay, these days, Nancy, you do travel a lot, but when you get back home to Nashville in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, you live, uh, your life is is quite, you know, ordinary. Uh, the sort of professional pursuits go set set aside. You're, you're a wife, you're a mother, a friend, a follower yeah. of Jesus. What is life like for you there in Nashville? Well, my husband and I uh, live here in Nashville. It probably wouldn't surprise you to know that what brought us to Nashville was the music business. Okay. You, you know, Nashville is the heart of the music business, right? That's right. So, um my husband and I actually we actually met. We worked for Word Records and Music and Word Book Publishing in Waco, Texas. We met there 30 years ago. And so um, David worked for Word Music for a lot of years. And then about 10 years ago, he started his own uh, music business. He publishes kids' musicals for the church. Um, so it's all based here at the house, so he's here doing that thing, and I spend a lot of time uh, writing and speaking, and then we have a ministry that we do together. In fact, we just got home this afternoon. Uh, my husband, David, and I lead retreats just for couples who have lost children, and it's just 11 couples and us out in a big old house for the weekend, which I know to some people just sounds like the most miserable thing possible to get together with a bunch of people who feel really sad. But it's a great privilege for us and a really um, meaningful ministry to us. And so that's our world. Interesting when you talk about getting together with people who feel really sad. And the idea of being sad or understanding your sadness is not necessarily to be aligned with badness. Is it because uh, because actually feeling sad and being able to identify with others who are going through similar sorts of grief actually is a very you know encouraging thing, a, a healing well, thing? Is there something in that? I mean, none of us likes the idea of being sad, and and neither do we necessarily relish the idea of being around sad people. I mean, let's just be honest. It's not necessarily a a lot of fun, necessarily, to be around someone who is deeply, pervasively sad. Um, But I guess over the years now, one thing my husband and I have discovered is that 
when we get around people who have are in the midst of deep sorrow, people who are in the midst of deep sorrow, they're not really interested in small talk. And and so usually those kind of situations lead to very meaningful discussion, talking about things that really matter, like what's God doing in the world and why do hard things happen and what's the purpose of prayer and what's God's involvement in these things and what's it going to take to find and take hold of hope and have joy again in life. And so I guess that's the positive side about being with sad people is the conversation is generally gen, is generally pretty meaningful rather than meaningless. Let's talk about these things that people who are gathering for these retreats that you and your husband run uh, are talking mm-hmm. about when it when it comes to sadness. And mm-hmm. I've been talking about this a little through the morning, uh, that it's not a happy conversation we're about to have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the invitation for listeners to participate in our conversation, because uh, some of our listeners uh, may be suffering from this level of grief, and sometimes we talk about grief and loss and might like to contribute to our conversation. So our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Nancy, uh, you have a son, Matt, uh, but yes. you had a daughter, Hope, and a son, Gabriel. Uh, yeah. Tell us your story of grief and loss. Yeah, when our son, Matt, was about eight years old, that's when I gave birth to Hope. And I was so looking forward to having a daughter who would be my friend and my friend in my old age. And on Hope's second day, we found out that she had a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome that had already affected her profoundly, impacted most profoundly her liver and her kidneys and her brain. And so we found out on the second day that her life would be very short and very difficult. And honestly, Neil, I just... I I remember that night getting that diagnosis, and in some ways, I I just felt, I began to feel at that point, certainly, that my life was about to change uh, in a very significant way, and began, and and wondered, you know, will my life ever be good again? Um, And over the days and months that followed, we we took care of hope and and just that reality of death um it was a mixture there's a sense in which when you know life is going to be short it's very rich i mean w- people sometimes give lip service to talking about living one day at a time and honestly for us every day we didn't know maybe this will be her last day and so there was kind of a richness to life during that time the kind of things like um you know, we we didn't we didn't say, well, someday we should do this, or sometime I might like to introduce hope to so and so. Instead, it was like if the idea came, let's do it today. And <clears throat> since we knew that her life wouldn't be marked by years, uh, and that she would never have a first birthday party, we had monthly birthday parties. To, and honestly, Neil, sometimes it seemed, especially near the end, it seemed a little bit crazy to celebrate her life when it seemed so obvious that death was creeping in on us. And yet we just felt like hope was such a gift and we wanted to celebrate her life. And God gave us 199 days with her. 
and then we said goodbye to her. And I think, Neil, that I kind of thought that since I had those months to anticipate and prepare for her death, that somehow grief was going to be easier for me than other people. Um, I'm always a, I'm always trying to plan ahead and get on top of things. And I guess that was just really naive. It was, it really reflects a lack of understanding of how grief works because there's a big difference between anticipating uh, someone's death and the quietness and emptiness and finality of death. And so in those days after Hope died, I just a deep sadness set in on me. And the only way I know how to explain it was that it was like this huge boulder came down and sat on my chest. And like I was just always struggling for breath. And tears were always so close to the surface. And I remember... We went on a retreat with our choir a couple of months after our daughter Hope died. And I remember just saying to the fellow choir members at my church, you need to understand that I'm not, necess- I'm not depressed and I haven't lost my faith. I'm just really sad because I lost someone I loved. And I need you to give me some time and space to just be sad. And I'm feel really grateful I had lots of good friends who gave me that gift. Nancy, we'll continue to talk about that sadness, but let's also talk about what it's like when you have come through the worst of that time of grief and mm-hmm. you can put a smile on your face again. And mm-hmm. I know that I know that you even love to have a laugh. I guess <laughs> the idea of having recovered from the deep grief, and, I, and I'm sure that, mm-hmm. that there is some grief that, that must always, in some sense, yeah. uh, be with you forever. But, uh, but how long does it take uh, to mm. actually get to a point where you can laugh again? Yeah. Well, it's interesting timing that you ask that because this morning as I left this respite retreat that we spent the weekend with these 11 couples who foster a child, before leaving I went and sat out on the back deck with a wonderful woman from California whose son accidentally shot himself just three months ago, and she's just barely functioning, and she's just really struggling, and she's so desperately sad. And over the weekend, she says, the first time I actually had at least an hour or two when I felt some happiness. And she hasn't felt that for all these months since he died. And what that did for her was give her some hope that actually some joy and laughter could return to her life. But, you know, one thing I said to her, you know, when we have friends who are hurting deeply, I think our instinct is we want to fix them. I mean, we we want to cheer them up because we see their sadness as the problem. But, you know, when we lose something or someone who's valuable to us, it makes sense that we're going to be sad for a while and really mourn that loss. I know for me, uh, in the death of Hope and then later a second son who had the same syndrome, uh, our son Gabe, um, I just, I really did need, I felt like I had so many tears inside me that really had to come out 
before I could heal. I think part of the problem sometimes, Neil, is that we feel sad. And sometimes people will come around us who've had some sort of similar loss, and they say to us things like, you're going to feel this way forever. You know, you're never going to forget this. And the grieving person can begin to think that they're always going to feel as much pain as they feel when the loss is fresh. But here's the beautiful thing. When we are joined to the person of Christ, um, God is a healer. And when we're joined to Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, as we pursue him in the midst of our suffering, rather than just listening to our own chaotic thoughts and our own desperate thoughts, as we open up God's Word and we say, I need to hear a voice of truth speak to me. I need a voice of sanity to speak into these desperate thoughts. And God's Word, as we take it in, it does a work in us, and it does a healing work in us. It helps us begin to think more clearly. And so, you know, this weekend we spent with these couples, what we say to them is, you know, it's going to hurt for a while. And maybe a long while. And there is no timeline for it. That's what you asked me, like, how long? And that's what we always want to know, like, about how long should this be? And you know what? It takes what it takes. But what I encourage grieving people is, is to look out into the future and decide, you know what? I don't want to stay in this sad place forever. I'm willing to stay here for a while, and I want to pursue God in the midst of it. I want to welcome his spirit to work in me in the midst of it. In fact, I want him to do everything to uh, work in me and change me and transform me in the midst of everything he wants to do. But I don't intend for this grief to become my new identity. I, I want to look out there and see that there is a day coming when I will throw my head back and laugh again and that anticipate that God will do a healing work and that I will experience joy again. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Talking with Nancy Guthrie and issues today, deep hurts and grief. Nancy is on the line with us from Nashville in Tennessee. She's coming to Australia, though, and will be in Australia in August. She'll be speaking at the One Love and Oxygen conferences in August in Sydney. Uh, There's also a respite retreat, which Nancy's been talking about. Uh, which is going to also be on the One Love Respite Retreat, which is on the 19th to the 21st of August. And so uh, other things that we'll be able to talk about too when Nancy will be speaking. But Nancy, let's take a call. Let's hear from Russell in Slacks Creek in Brisbane. Hello, Russell. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, Nancy and Neil. How are you? Um, what, uh, it really encouraged me to hear what you're saying. You know, you hang on to the Lord because you're deep in grief. But what happened to me some years ago, my son was hit by a person uh, hitting with a piece of four before. And uh, he ended up in hospital in intensive care for two weeks. Then they moved him. He was unconscious for another two weeks, no movement down the left-hand side. But I'm really trusting God to bring him fruit. God said, trust me. 
Then they moved him. He's up. He's walking around, but he's not a hundred percent, you know. And you trust in God, and it's still a time of grief and all that, you know. My family's mm-hmm. tore apart, and um, God said when they were told us, "Trust me," but you still, you know, I'm by myself. It's very lonely, but I'm mm-hmm. pressing into the Holy Spirit. I've got that hope that. He's going to bring me family back together. I've got that prophecy, you know. But it's like um, Abraham with his son on the altar. That's where my children are and my grandchildren. I thank you for your word, your encouragement, and the program to you. God bless you. Russell, let's hear some thoughts from Nancy. Thank you so much, Russell. This must, you know, we we all have hopes and dreams for what our family is going to look like, and we just never. We just don't anticipate something so hard is going to happen and something so hurtful. And I just appreciate what you're saying about this determination you have to trust God. I mean, you know, sometimes I think we give lip service to trusting God when we, when we first come to Him and we take hold of Him for salvation. We're trusting Him to take us to Himself in the life beyond this life. Yet it's this, these day-to-day hardships of living here in this incredibly broken world as these hurts reach into our lives. These day-to-day things can just be so hard to trust them. I, I find that myself, and I just find that I just keep, I have to just daily pray for the faith to trust Him, and that's the goodness of God. He, he, um, he's the one who gives us the faith and the ability to trust Him. But we don't presume upon him for it. We ask him for it. We beg him for it. Give me, Lord, give me the faith to trust you with the hardest thing I can imagine. And the thing about trust, it's not simply just trusting that everything's going to turn out okay. It's not simply that I trust that you're going to fix this or I trust you're going to do a miracle because God doesn't always do that. Trust says, Lord, I trust that you will do right. And I trust that you, what you do will be right and that I'm going to trust you whether or not um, you resolve this in, in, in the way that I wanted you to. My trust is that you are good and you will do what is right. Russell from Slacks Creek, I want to thank you for your call and for sharing those things. And uh, thank you, Nancy, too, for a wonderful response, a sensitive response. Russell from Slacks Creek, uh, thanks for being with us. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Craig in Queensland. Hello, Craig. Welcome along. Hi, guys. How are you? Good, Craig. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, about thoughts, Um, we... uh, we had a little car accident three years ago, and um, we lost our little girl in the accident mm. for about two minutes. Um, the Lord saw fit to um, resurrect her from a state of no heartbeat and no, no breath, mm. um, but left her with a permanent brain injury. So mm. Dave, the little girl that we once knew, came back mm. to us who looked much the same, but was a completely new child, and then... The other kids that were in the car were all, um, you know, socially and mentally uh, and physically scarred as well. Um, mm. So every day for the last three years um, has been a grieving process of having to deal with trying to teach our daughter how to um, 
remember things again and to mm. having to deal with this new child because that's mm. pretty much what she is. Our brand new kid <laughs> looks a lot mm. like the one that we had but isn't at all any like it. And it's been a really odd grieving process. Uh, I guess where my wife and I are at now after three years of this is like we just need to find a way to to put it behind us even though we're faced with it every day. Mm. And we need to somehow, like the Bible says, press on. <laughs> mm. um, and that's, that's not as easy as... No. You know, Craig, let's get a few thoughts from Nancy on your situation. Yeah. When you, when you talk about that, Craig, I, it makes me think about, you know how Paul writes, I think it's in First Corinthians, where he writes about the troubles of this life being light and momentary. <laughs> and I almost want to laugh when I read that. Um, you want to slap him upside the head. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, you just think, you know, what is your perspective? You just think, how can you come to that perspective? Or, or, or we, we're tempted to think, well, Paul, you just don't get it. You don't get how difficult things are in my life. And I just imagine for you, Craig, as you not only has it been three years, but as that as you look at the future in some ways for caring for this precious daughter of yours and your other children, um, it can seem so long. And so how could Paul possibly say that the troubles of these life this life are light and momentary? And as I think about him saying that, I, th- I think one way I make a little bit of sense of that, you know, we read in Second in Corinthians that Paul was, we read this in Second Corinthians 12, it says he was taken up into paradise. So basically, Paul was given a personal guided tour of heaven, the place where God dwells. And finally there, he's, he's been, it's been 14 years, and he hasn't talked about it, but he feels forced into a corner, and he talks about his experience of seeing the glory of God with his own eyes in, in the, in the uh, heavenly places. And I think that's why Paul is able to have that perspective of saying that the troubles of this life are light and momentary. When you think about seeing the glory of God, another word for the word glory would be weight. So Paul has seen the weightiness, the substance of the glory of God, and it's that perspective that enables him to describe the troubles of this life as light. And not only that, he's seen into eternity. He's gotten a glimpse of the kind of environment that we're going to live in for eternity, and he's gotten a sense of perhaps the foreverness of eternity. And I think that's why he can say that the troubles of this life are not only light, um, but they're, um, they're brief to him. And it's only in light of eternity. And so I just, I'm so grateful that we have the scriptures, because that is the perspective we need. And we can only have that kind of perspective as we take in God's Word day after day, and we ask Him, Lord, change my perspective on the hard day-to-day lives when I think, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the strength. I can't see. I can't watch her suffer. I can't watch my wife struggle. I can't think about the future of my family struggling in this way. Because right after Paul tells us about this experience of seeing into heaven, then he tells us 
and he begs God to take it away, which I appreciate his humanness. We get to hear him beg God to take it away. And then Jesus speaks to him, and he says he gives some of the best news for you and me and anybody else who's listening who thinks, I just can't do it anymore. He says, here's Jesus say, my grace is sufficient. Craig turns to Paul and he says, I'm going to provide what you need in the form and the timing and the quantity in which you need it to endure the pain that I'm not going to take away. Craig from Queensland, thank you so much for your call today. Our talkback line remains open. We'll continue our conversation after Vision National News. Uh, Just to mention quickly, Nancy, coming to Australia in August, she'll be speaking at a One Love Respite Retreat, 19th to the 21st of August, also the One Love Conference in Sydney, and also in in Brisbane, uh, the Grow Women's Conference on the 3rd of September. Back with more with Nancy shortly. Talking through issues today, deep hurts, the idea of grief and loss. Our very special guest is Nancy Guthrie on the line with us today from Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. Nancy is the author of a book called Holding On to Hope, A Pathway of Suffering to the Heart of God. And Nancy, we'll take some more calls in just a few moments, but that's not the only book that you've written and you've got a lot of teaching series uh, that deal with uh, a whole lot of different issues. Uh, Tell us about some of the other things that you've got published. Yeah, well, I've, I've done a series of books called the Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament Bible Study Series. So a series of 10-week um, studies that you can get together with a group of people and use to read the Old Testament uh, with the very purpose of understanding how the Old Testament prepares us to, to embrace Christ and how we see him throughout the whole of the Bible. It helps us to realize that Really, the whole of the Bible's story is about Christ. In the Old Testament, Christ has been promised, and we see him in, pictured in people, and we recognize there's problems that only he can solve and things that only he's going to be able to resolve, and then, of course, he comes in the New Testament. So that series is something that a lot of people know me for, and then I have written a number of books about trying to understand God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering, because that's a very hard thing. You know, we, especially those of us who grew up in church or around the church, we feel like we have a grasp of that until the really hard thing happens. And then we discover, then it, it leaves behind that being a theological or theoretical thing. Then we really have to figure, okay, God, um, how were you involved in this? What did you intend in this? How can I trust you with this? And so I've written a number of things in that regard. And people might like to write down nancyguthrie.com as a website where uh, listeners will be able to see uh, what those other items are. In fact, when you reflect on the Old Testament, uh, most of us might have our minds wander to Isaiah 53 and a description there in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant uh, that we relate to Jesus and the suffering that he uh, had for us and the the idea that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. 
we can have this image in our mind of uh, the triumphant and soon coming king, uh, but the images of the scriptures uh, they are very. They're very different, and that one that we have from Isaiah 53 of Christ as being acquainted with the deepest grief, how, mm-hmm. how significant is that, Nancy, when oh, you're dealing with your own isn't grief? Isn't it significant? I mean, that we have a God who understands human suffering. Uh, this morning when I was with these couples at our respite retreat, we looked at Matthew 26, which is really the New Testament picture of exactly what you're talking about, of Isaiah 53, because in Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, you know, he's got those few disciples there, and he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And I shared with them how significant that was when I read that a short time after my daughter Hope died. I mean, the truth is so many things in the Bible sounded different afterward, um, but when I read that, Neil, I read those words of Jesus, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I wrote two words beside them. I wrote, Jesus understands. And, you know, sometimes in the midst of suffering, I interact with lots of people who their response to suffering is to turn away from God they think to themselves, you know, he's not safe, and so I'm going to go the other direction. And, and, and when, you're, when you've had an incredible loss, the truth is you'll figure out pretty soon who's a safe person to be around, and usually the safest person to be around, the most understanding, the, the people who seem to get it in regard to loss are people who have had loss themselves. And so we discover right there in Isaiah 53, as you read, and then Matthew 26, that Jesus is a safe person to draw close to in the midst of suffering. And the reason he's so safe is as he's been there. He understands the overwhelming sorrow as well as the agonizing loneliness of death. And I'm so, it's it's amazing, really, that our God would Um, humble himself in that way to experience human suffering at that level. We are taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hi, Robin. Yes, hi. And um, thank you, for uh, Nancy, for ministering out of your um, grief. And also, Neil, what you were saying as well, because... um, um, they were basically you both um, said things that I was going to say because the other thing about Jesus' life that I only found out through Chuck Missler is that he grew up with um, public knowledge that Joseph was not his father, and in their culture, it was an absolute taboo. So, and the Pharisees, when they questioned Jesus, well, who is your father? Um, Chuck Missler points out that they're actually um, claiming him to be. A bastard, or at least, and that seems to be the public opinion. And he points out in some of the Psalms where it seems to be Jesus actually speaking exactly from his own life, where they ridiculed him, you know, made fun of him, and stuff like that. But you know, grief um, doesn't have to be just um, with uh, the death of somebody close to you. And um, I only learned that through a prophetic word over me. I mean, I've been through so much grief in my life. And it, it's basically from um, a lack of nurturing from a mother. She was very, she had problems herself, obviously. But I can identify with so many people in the same way. You know, people think that time heals, but 
But it doesn't. And even though the Lord does take away um, the edge of it and he, he, he helps you to cope with life. You know, I heard a, a guy on your program um, some, some time ago, he rang in and he, he was in his 50s and uh, he says, I'm still waiting for somebody to um, adopt me. And it's not that he's literally waiting for somebody to adopt him, of course. It's just that that, that agony, that, that feeling of neglect, of rejection just never leaves you. Robin, some great thoughts in the things that you're sharing. Let's hear from Nancy on, uh, on uh, whatever which you would like to pick up on, yeah. Nancy. Well, I think what you're saying there, Robin, is that we really do have a, have a, a saviour um, who genuinely suffered. And you talked about his suffering in terms of, you know, uh, being uh, despised and rejected, which once again goes back to Isaiah 53. But as you talked, it made me think about what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, where the writer of Hebrews says to us, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. And think about that, that sense of consider him. It's like, okay, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, and when you're giving way to fear, when you are... um, just uh, simmering in the struggles of this life. It's, it's as if the writer of Hebrews is lifting up our face and he's telling us, okay, look up because you're not alone in this. And you are joined to a Savior. Consider Him and the, the, the suffering He experienced and understand that He is your Savior. And there is no suffering that we can experience in this life that Jesus doesn't deeply and genuinely understand. Robin from Mount Morgan, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Leslie in Shepparton in Victoria. Hi, Leslie. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Hi, Leslie. What are are your thoughts? Hi, Neil and Nancy. It's Leslie. Um... With my my um, my life had been um, uh, had very bad schooling in the early days because I had severe depressive illness in the early days of my life for fifty odd years. I wasn't diagnosed for fifty odd years. In my early days, there was no medication for that mm. that condition of mm-hmm. depressive illness. And uh, for 50 years, like I said, 50 years I've been in and out of it. I was dealing with stuff so devastating, the death of my father when I was nine year old. And I had to go away in the same year, 1965, my father died. Just turned 66 in January. And um, he died of throat cancer, too many cigarettes. And um, that same year... My mum was in a coma before 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 my uh, father died, and she couldn't reach dad in any way or form. She couldn't talk. She couldn't do nothing. So she went into a coma for a number of years. And Leslie, you've been you've been deeply affected by that. Uh, some thoughts from Nancy because uh, this idea of depressive illness uh, that mm-hmm. hadn't been diagnosed, and thinking back to those early. 
at times of grief and losing parents. Uh, your thoughts yeah. and uh, perhaps uh, to for Leslie. Well, you know, uh, we we look at the hard things about this life and we just wonder how could this be and we search for a cause for why so so much brokenness can invade our lives and settle in our lives and I know in my own experience as I was trying to search out that answer for why has this happened, the most significant answer I found actually at the very beginning of the Bible, which is where we read about Adam and Eve and their sin and the curse that came upon all creation so that brokenness um, invaded all of creation so that the weather doesn't work right and relationships don't work right, and the brokenness that invaded the world when the curse of sin came, it has invaded even my genetic code. I mean, so so when I think about why have I had two children who were born with this genetic uh, fatal illness, I think what I recognize is it's the brokenness of this world. It's the impact of sin in this world, and it is so pervasive. And I'm just so sad with you, Robin, as I think about the many dark days and dark nights that you have experienced in this life because of the curse of sin on this world that has infiltrated your body and your mind, and it's taken from you people that you love. And I'm so grateful, though, that I know that on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the curse for sin. And you and I right now, we're still in this in-between time, in the time when Jesus accomplished everything necessary on the cross and in the resurrection to take away the curse, to make everything new, to purge this world of the impact of the curse. But right now we're kind of caught in this in-between time. But our hope, and I don't mean by that like a cross-your-fingers hope, I mean confident hope, biblical hope that we can take hold of in the midst of these things, if our, our confidence hope is the day is going to come. That's described in Revelation 21 and 22, when it says that he's going to wipe away our tears. And I just love it, that it describes that as this very personal action of God himself. It's not an impersonal ending to the difficulties and sorrows of this life. It's almost as if God's going to reach out his hand and he's going to wipe away our tears. And then when we get to the next chapter, Revelation 22, it says there's going to be no more curse. And so I just would say to you, to Robin, in the midst of this, I know it's hard, but this is why the Scripture calls us to set our eyes on things above and to put all of our hopes in what Christ has accomplished what he's doing even now, because it says if we are in Christ, the new creation has come. This new creation that's going to come in full when he returns again, it's invading the present right now as he makes us new on the inside. In fact, Neil, that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about at One Love. At One Love, our, our, our topic is transformation, because sometimes all of us feel kind of stuck in who we are and our circumstances, and we wonder, is anything ever going to change? Can I ever change? And the hope of the gospel is that promise 
that if you are in Christ, the new creation has come. He is even now transforming us by the power of his word as we take in his word and we chew on it and we let it change how we think about things and how we value things. And it begins to change how we feel about things amazingly. And that new creation work does its work now and begins to transform us now. And then the day has come when we'll be transformed completely. Uh, he's, the, uh, Paul says in Philippians that when he comes, we will be like him. And that's the day we'll be completely transformed. And all of the pain and the impact of the curse will be gone for good. Thank you to Leslie from Shepparton. It was Robin who was the previous caller. But uh, Leslie, uh, thank you so much for your call and for being part of 2020. We'll take another call. Let's hear from Trish in Perth in WA. Hi, Trish. Oh, hello. Trish, what are your thoughts? Uh, First of all, Nancy, thanks for taking my call and so sorry for your loss. Thank you, Um, Trish. I grieve. Thank you. I grieve in a different way for my children as well. Um, I grieve most days. I say most days because I have a few glimpses of hope that maybe one or two days a week, but over my five children because they've been taken away from me. Mm. Mm. So they are alive, but sometimes I feel like they're not. Um, It just rips my heart out every day, but God has got me through and kept me alive um, Mm. over it. But uh, they've been alienated from me, from... Mm. A marriage breakdown, um, mm. won't say too much about it, but alienated from me, from their grandmother, from aunties and uncles and cousins. Mm. So they're sort of in the, they're socially isolated with their father there and his friends. Mm. It's very hard for me to break, break through and, and take that step, that leap of, you know, I keep trusting God every day, but what you said today about trust really helped me. Um, Mm. trust that he not because I always say oh God will fix this because I can't Um, Mm. but I realized that the trust that you have to have for God like you said is just that he will he will make it right one day yeah yeah, to trust him as we were talking about earlier yeah it's not it's not uh, the confidence that he's going to fix everything, I think is what you're saying, but that confidence that he's going to be true to his promise that when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, that he really can be enough for us. And, you know, Trish, when I think about the emptiness in your life and the emptiness at your house and in your schedule and around your table, um, I know that that has to be so hard. I mean, and sometimes the emptiness of this life is just so overwhelmingly painful. And we look at the empty places in our lives, and we see those that emptiness as our greatest problem. And I have come to think that when God looks at these empty places in our lives, that he doesn't look at them and say that that is our biggest problem. God looks at the empty places in our lives, and he sees them as his greatest opportunity. And by that I mean that when we are emptied out, um, it creates space that he can fill. And God loves to fill the empty places in our lives with himself. 
And if you doubt it, (laughs) we only need to look at the very beginning of the Bible to see that that is what he's always done. I mean, think with me about the, the first words of the Bible. We read, and God created the heavens and the earth, and it was formless and void. Was, there's this, there was this great chaos and emptiness, and doesn't that describe our lives sometimes? Our chaotic thoughts, the, the chaotic relationships, it was chaotic and it was void. It, there was this huge emptiness. But of course that wasn't a problem to God, because we read in the rest of Genesis 1, he spoke, let there be light, and he eradicated the darkness. You know, let there be, let there be, over and over again. And he filled up what was empty with beauty and light and life. And we could trace our way through the rest of the Bible. We could see over and over again. Oftentimes, like think of Sarah, her womb was empty, and it wasn't a problem to God. It was an opportunity for him to fill her aging body, that empty womb, with a child they named Laughter. And then Mary has an empty womb, and the Spirit comes and overshadows her, and her womb is filled with the very life of God, in fact, the Son of God. And so I just pray for you, Trish, right now, in the deep emptiness that you feel in your life and that you have in your home and perhaps for other listeners today. And as you're listening, you're just saying, that's me. There is this huge empty place in my heart, in my soul, in my schedule, in my life, in my home. And I just want to beg you not to fill up the emptiness with so many other things, because that's often what we're tempted to do. We want to fill up the emptiness with alcohol or with busyness or Internet surfing or shopping or talking on the phone. I mean, just so many things. And I just would say to you that God looks at your emptiness and he says, I will fill up your emptiness. My grace is enough to fill up the empty places in your life. And if you will open up the empty places to me, I will fill you and I will be enough for you. Trish from Perth in WA, thank you so much for your call and for sharing your heart with us. And thank you to Nancy for leading us in prayer. For Trish and for others who have been going through all of these issues and those who've called in over this past hour. And time is Almost running out. You're coming to Australia, Nancy. And, I can't uh, wait, Neil. You know, I was there a couple of years ago, and I loved it. Good. Well, and it's the, I can't wait to come back in August. Right. Well, it's the One Love Conference and Oxygen Conferences that you spoke at in uh, August 2014. Right. A couple of years ago. And this year it's just One Love. They're at the Australian Technology Park, and they're expecting 2,000 women from all over Sydney and New South Wales And as I said earlier, it's going to be a day talking about transformation. And so it's a day for Christian women. It's a great day to bring someone you know who doesn't know Christ, because I'm going to present the gospel clearly and winsomely and call them to come to him. So invite a friend and come. Yeah, well, it's the Australian Technology Park in Redfern, uh, Saturday the 27th of August, and the theme is Renewed, Transformed. Uh, there's details about that conference at onelovewomen.com. You're also speaking at the Grow Women's Conference in Brisbane, a day of yeah, Bible teaching for women. Before, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, well, you'll be in for a treat uh, visiting Brisbane. Uh, that's the 3rd of September. That's that's a one-day uh 
program at the Sleeman Centre in Chandler, and it's open to women of all ages from all places. And uh, there is a website there too, uh, qcca.org.au forward slash grow. And uh, so... And Neil, on that day, we're going to spend that day looking at the book of Job. Here's this man. He lost so much. He questioned God boldly, and yet he merged from that loss with a life that was described as good. And we're going to find out how he did that, because that's what we want to do. And the other thing I didn't mention is that before those two conferences, you're also running one of your respite retreats. Right. Uh, Now, that's going to be on the 19th through the 21st of August at Kalnura. That's one and a half hours drive from Sydney, and uh, you are going to be there with your husband, David, and leading people yes. through that. And there's, there's space, as I understand it, it's a limited space for just 15 couples uh, to go right. and be part of that. So details for that one is at onelovewomen.com. Uh, so if you lost a child or you know someone who has, I hope they'll register soon because space is limited. Well, Nancy, we've run out of time. I just want to honour you for being so open and uh, for sharing with our listeners today. And clearly, uh, grief happens in lots of ways. And uh, you shared the loss of your daughter, Hope, and we didn't really get to talk about having to go through that again with the loss yeah. of your son, Gabriel. And uh, so just thinking of you too, as you, uh, in the ministry that you have, uh, continually need to come back to your own grief to be able to share with others to help them come through. And uh, certainly honour you for that and uh, just really thankful that God has called you in that ministry and that you're such a help to so many people, uh, not only uh, throughout uh, the United States, but now coming to Australia. And uh, I'm sure there'll be many who'll be looking forward to seeing you when you're here. Uh, well, I look forward to seeing them. So uh, I hope all of your listeners who are listening that they'll consider coming to one of these events and say, hey, I heard you on Neil Johnson's radio show, and I said, I've got to come. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that uh, the main website, onelovewomen.com. Nancy, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful night in Nashville. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.